Welcome everyone to this episode of Points of Connection. We're taking a look today at the intersections between updates and tradition. Later in the show, we're going to have our guest, Emorja Roberson, who is a uh, student in the Sacred Music Department and a a wonderful gospel singer going to be talking about this intersection in his particular craft as a vocal musician. But before we get to that, uh, I'm joined as always by my co-host JJ and a special guest today. Ladies and gentlemen, please give it up for Mr. Brett Perkins. Brett, hello. Hey guys, it's great to be with you. Thanks for the invite. Thanks for being with us, Brett. We have to highlight the fact that you're not joining us necessarily from South Bend, Indiana, but from a very special place. Where are you joining us from? I am. So I am dialed in today. Well, not quite dial in, but I'm online today <laughs> from my hometown of Cerro Gordo, Illinois, population 1500. But I have to say, we live in the suburbs. We live on a corn and soybean farm about four miles outside of town. So um, so indeed, the fact that I can even get internet out here is uh, is pretty pretty good thing. We'll just hope the wind keeps blowing the uh, turbine <laughs> on the windmill. That powers Ma, stop moving, Ma! I'm just <laughs> if Al walks in front of the receiver, though, where all bets are off, okay? Oh, so. sounds good. <laughs> High stakes. Indeed, indeed. But it's great to be with you guys. I'm excited to chat. So, gents, uh, maybe this first question, we're talking about traditions and updates today. Uh, is, there a particular, is there a particular part of the tradition that people would be surprised to know that you really hold valuable in your particular faith practice today? Wow. That's a great question. I, you know, I, I, whether it's a surprise or not, I don't know, but you know, I, I have to tell you, like on my own faith journey, like, so I didn't grow up Catholic and my initial exposure to Catholicism actually took place through the liturgy. Um, I, a friend of mine in high school invited me to Catholic mass and it was definitely an eye-opening experience because I wasn't familiar with that style of worship. I came from a Methodist background, which was pretty traditional, but but definitely not like what I saw when I went to Mass for the first time. So so it was something that I think um, as I live out my faith now, gosh, 21, 22 years later after becoming Catholic, um, of course, I'm, I'm only 23, right. so very early <laughs> on in my, yeah, in my life that I had. So in any case, but, it, but I, I have to say that like I keep coming back to liturgy uh, because that is such a powerful way for me to um, to connect with God and to um, live out that constant, um, I think that way tradition kind of calls us back to our roots in a sense. Um, but of course, I'm a different person now, 22 years later too. So it's uh, also a way that it speaks into my life now. You got one, JJ? Yeah, I I mean, the first thing I could think of was uh, as a sacred musician, I, I come from a long line of church music composers, directors, etc. And so um there isn't a day that goes by where I don't listen to some kind of sacred music, I would really? say. Yeah, I mean I I love it. You know, it's like mostly and I mostly do it for work, right? So it's kind of this great um integration of the thing I really enjoy with the thing that I'm um hired to do. But but yeah, that's the place where I, I definitely identify most with a um a tradition. Yeah. Can I ask, I'm going to answer my question by not answering my question, but sharing a story that just came up for me. So I, I so I, before COVID and stuff, we would do, we'd go pilgrimages and, um, I was, uh, we were in Rome and I was in, um, 
I was at the Vatican in, uh, on St. Peter's Square, and it was six o'clock, and so the bells start toiling. And so I, I was still a novice in terms of what goes on at the Vatican at six o'clock, but it's the Angelus that happens that's being said at, at six. And I was, I was there, and so I happened to just listen in. And I could, when I was listening to it, I just got a flashback to a moment in my childhood when my grandma used to say this prayer with me. Mm-hmm. We had this, like, we we, uh, we would turn our, um, what looks like, what is our towel kind of cabinet, and there was kind of like a flat top on top. That was an altar in our house uh, with, like, statues and things. Uh, and we would pray to Angelus. And I think for me, why I'm sharing this in terms of a surprising piece is, like, I I, I started getting emotional uh, in St. Peter's because... It was one of uh, the, it was a moment where prayer triggered for me memory. It triggered for me like uh, an experience from my past of someone who I, I care about deeply, my grandmother, who like passed on prayer to me when I was a kid. Yeah. So when I think about tradition, yeah. I don't know. The, the, for me, one of the easiest ways for me to articulate what that has looked like in my life, it's how the people who, in some cases, have gone past, have in one way or another are trying to inform me how to navigate my life today. I don't know, just when you were saying that, I was thinking of like, I always think of this, so my work today, of course, working with students in RCIA, so people who are thinking about becoming Catholic, the wrestling with tradition is a big part of, of what that journey looks like, right? And I always I always think of like, well, what does tradition mean? Well, coming from the Lat- like Latin tradare, meaning to like, to hand down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but interestingly, that word also means, has a meaning of surrender, um, which is, I think is kind of powerful and sort of speaks into this, this, um, this discussion a little bit too, to what extent like the faith is handed down. It's kind of echoed through the centuries and stuff, but, but also there's a way that much like in storytelling, like you flex the, the tradition a little bit so that it, so that it fits with what our kind of modern circumstances, right? Right, um, right. And I can see that in my own life, just in some of like, I, I guess like the easiest way in thinking of like family traditions, like what we do, especially around like the holidays and how it brings me back to past moments. We pulled out this Christmas break, we pulled out the the uh, family videos and we were watching like videos of, of what life was like, what we did on Christmas and New Year's back when I was a kid. And, and looking at that and being like, you know what? It's not that different than what we do today, right? There's a way that that, that handed down, like the way we engage with those customs, you know, it's, um, it's something that's, I think, beautiful. And it helps us to remember kind of, in a sense, who we are. Yeah, I would say, um, just personally speaking, like uh, we've been living here long enough now and our kids are old enough that we, and especially during Corona, like Christmas time comes, we have to make our own traditions, right? Like obviously we're bringing... Uh, my wife and I, the things that um, we got when we were growing up and stuff, but we're also making new ones for our kids that we care about and, and with our family. Um, and it's it's interesting to reflect on that because I think the hard thing about tradition is that um, we don't get to control what's part of the tradition. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it, it's this massive sort of culmination of all these voices that have contributed over time. And then... Now, all of a sudden, I'm looking at my singular voice in that context, um, and it can be pretty overwhelming, I think. I, you know, how, how could I contend with that tradition is, is a question that I um, often find myself asking. So I do think that there are elements of it that um, are quite tricky to 
um, to understand. Yeah. And I wonder if that's not kind of where that, that um, other sort of definition of that Latin word, the tradare of surrender kind of comes in too, right? Like to the extent that like in some ways we do have to surrender a little bit because it's not like tradition isn't of our own making um, as at least as we inherit it, how it's interpreted and lived into in the future and, and, and how we pass it on. Well, you know, there's sort of a, there's a responsibility, there's a surrender, but there's also a way that it does apply to new terms, new circumstances in both society as well as in our personal life, right? It, we're co-creators in this, right? It's what is being given to us. How do we interpret that? And then how do we make something new? Uh, how do we contribute to the tradition too? I, I kind of want to explore the rub that you're experiencing, JJ. Can you talk more about like being one person in the midst of tradition? What what can sometimes be so daunting about that? Yeah, I don't want to deflect, but I'm I am going to go for yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and what I was going to say was, um, you know, I I think of like. Um, the great epic movies I've seen where, you know, the noble hero decides to surrender and uh, that there's nothing enjoyable about the surrender for the person who's surrendering. Right. And, and so I, I actually, I was curious, like um, not to boil things down just to being uh, enjoyable or not enjoyable, but how can we stomach this idea of surrender, Brett? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a good question. I mean, I think there's, um, I mean, I think in terms of my own journey, I think there I definitely, there was a surrender involved a little bit in terms of, of my faith journey. Um, and what I, in stepping into this new tradition, what it meant to sort of leave behind a little bit of what I had known in terms of definitely in terms of faith, but also sometimes in terms of relationships um, kind of stepping into a new reality, a new community, um, both globally, uh, internationally, right? The community of the, of the church, but also like even locally, like in my little town, there isn't a Catholic church. Um, so I had to go to another community totally to find a place to, um, to step into that surrender in that regard. It was, I, I mean, I, I liken it a little bit, maybe to like, well, what does it look like when you do enter into a marriage? Um, and there's, you're kind of melding these two, like what you bring into the conversation, but with, with the experiences of your, of your significant other, it's like, um, entering into and what has to kind of move to the side, not that it doesn't continue to be a part of you, but, but yet you're looking toward the future in some regard as well and looking for, okay, well, what, what is the hope that we live into? Um, how do we step into that? That makes the surrender a little bit more, more palatable. You can see the truth, beauty, and goodness that you're you're entering into as you move forward and look into the future, still with an eye toward, yeah, that's where I've come from. Um, it's still a part of me. I bring that into this new experience. Um, and yeah, you can. It can also be something that can easily. Uh, you can dwell on to be like, well, it's just not the same as it always used to be. It's not the same as when I was growing up, this new way of, of being. But but there's something also like joyful, I think, even in the midst of that um, and exciting. That brings us to yeah. think like, OK, what's going to be coming in the future that I haven't yet explored? Yeah. So the surrender, in a way, is not about the surrender. The surrender is about choosing something that we've recognized as a greater good. I think it is. Yeah. So it's different than the guy on the battlefield losing, losing the fight in a way. Yeah. 
can I, I can I add a, a different image to this? Uh, I like the idea of surrender, but I, especially when I uh, when I first went to grad school and had to like really study theology for the first time, I don't think it was a surrender. I think there was a lot of woundedness I had of just like disappointments within the church, and so my engagement with the tradition is like, what the heck does that actually mean? Like that can't possibly mean X Y Z. What is really there? So in, uh, for me, it wasn't so much a surrender with the tradition when I when I started really. Uh, engaging it, it was more of like, all right, what what are you really about? Because I really need to investigate what what this tradition is saying and how it might actually inform me. So for me, a part of being open to tradition has a lot to do with like questioning and even doubt and really investigating what's at the heart of what this faith is really trying to say or what is it trying to inform me uh, or inform the church. So there's a rigor. Heck There's yeah, a rigor man. with which you you need to approach the tradition. My uh, my my one of my professors in 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 uh, in grad school would made the analogy that tradition is not a suit that you're just supposed to wear as if it's not meant to like like if if I wore my dad's suit right now it's clearly not my suit and people are like why are you wearing someone else's suit it's not just something I just have to pop on I have to figure out how does it engage with me how does it engage with like the culture around me and the and the signs of the times around me. It's not just like a big block that's handed to me now. Now deal with this. I need to start questioning, what is this? Why does this exist? Where did this come from? Yeah. And that's fascinating. And I wonder if there's some difference there by virtue of kind of growing up within the tradition of mm. like Catholicism. Oh, interesting. Like in my experience, because I didn't grow up with that, when I stepped into the waters of tradition in terms of the Catholic faith, I found it as as something that brought like some stability and some comfort to um, perhaps what previously had been sort of a little bit of kind of a, well, you do you kind of Christianity and mm-hmm. you've got this island that I'm living on and then you've got your island and, and, and you've got your island. You know, like there's something comforting about, I think, that richness of knowing that you don't have to figure it all out on your own, but that you're able to step into kind of like a wisdom uh, tradition that like others have been thinking about these questions for, for literally like thousands of years and wrestling with, and probably just maybe somebody's asked one of these sorts of questions that you're pondering right now before. I wonder what they said about it. You know, that helped me to kind of figure out how did I live my, my Christianity beyond just kind of in my head or what I just did on, on Sunday you know, um, and maybe a, a quick little prayer before bed, you know, um, to, to find that I'm stepping into this whole family of people who've been, who've been doing this for literally like a couple thousand years. Yeah. What I love about what you're saying, Brett, is we have to bring our own stories to that engagement. Yeah. That our, our own, our own hangups or our own curiosities, our own doubts, our, our, our past experience of the church or the new experiences of the church that people have. That has to be part of what we bring when engaging tradition. It's not just something lopped onto us. We right. come at it with our full self as well. Brett, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Our guest is Brett Perkins, Assistant Director for Evangelization and Religious Education in Campus Ministry. We'll be right back with Amorja Roberson.
points of connection. We're joined now by my good friend, Amorja Roberson, who is an artist and advocate, as well as a doctoral student in sacred music at the University of Notre Dame, uh, as well as the host of Black at ND. Amorja, it's great to have you here. How are you doing today? I'm good, boss. How are you? Oh, better now. <laughs> better now. So, Amorja, we're, today we're talking about... Um, the implications of tradition and what that means to um, those of us who are seeking to uh, creatively meet the moment of now. Uh, tell us a little bit about your tradition. Who is Imorja? Uh, well, Imorja uh, is a young guy who grew up in Defunex Springs, Florida, a town that still has less than 10,000 people. Um, just a few stoplights. Uh, the biggest place uh, where we all congregate, which is a mall, is Walmart. Uh, it's, uh, <laughs> if you walk into a mall, you gotta go 45 minutes out. Um, grew up in a single parent home. Uh, I was rooted and grounded in church and I went to the University of North Florida in 2009 to pursue my bachelor of music and vocal performance. Uh, graduated from there and moved up to South Bend. And that brings us to now. It's a big deal that you're here, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Uh, both, both because of your family history and, and because of the history of the program you're in. Can you yeah. tell us about that? Yeah. So the sacred music department, um, oh gosh, when did they start? 2001? Oh, Something uh, like that. Yeah, yeah. They've, uh, I know it's for sure is less than 20 years old, but, uh, in 2017, I graduated as the first African American to, um, obtain a master of sacred music and vocal performance. And I stayed for a year and a half after doing some research assistantship work and beginning spring 2019, I began as the first African-American to pursue a doctor in musical arts and choral conducting. And while the normal track for conducting is to focus on, you know, composers that are typically spoken of, like maybe Beethoven or um, Brahm. But needless to say, I, I'm more so focused on those of the African-American tradition. So anything from, you know, the James Cleveland's, the Donald Lawrence's. Um, even, you know, being a rebel and doing some stuff for Kirk Franklin as well, too. It's just, it's, it's what <gasps> I have an interest in. <laughs> it's what I have an interest in doing. And so, uh, and if you're real bad, then you'll start doing some studying of J.J. Wright's. But I mean, that's the <laughs> day, so. <laughs> Yeah, one of, uh, one of the things that always strikes me about you, Amorja, is that you're so um, firmly grounded in the gospel tradition. Yeah. Um, but your interests, uh, don't, don't box you in to, oh, no. um, to just remain there. So I guess maybe a provocative question would be, uh, where has that gotten you into trouble? Oh man. Um, I, you know, where have I gotten into trouble? If anything, I know when I was younger, I will say, I remember I was at a church and I wanted to do something that was a bit different from what they normally would do. And they eventually sat me down. I was like, you know, forget it. I'll go to another church. <laughs> I can still remember to this day. <laughs> but, you know, because I grew up in a space where it was nothing but tradition. I was the youngest guy in my community who played piano. So I had to find ways that, that allowed me to still understand and appreciate the tradition, but to explore things that were a little bit more necessary for, for me and for the community that I grew up in, like the younger community. So I, whenever that happened, especially when I was younger, I established my own community choir. I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. I, um, and we had about 20 kids and the parents, you know, they were also a part of the group as well too. They supported it. That lasted until I, till 2008, if I'm not mistaken, before I graduated high school in 2009. Um, so, so there have been some moments where I've had older, uh, older uh, 
people of the church, I will say, to not necessarily agree with everything I did. But it's funny because when I got older, I started seeing more of them on my Facebook page saying, oh, I remember you whenever you did so. So I'm mm-hmm. like, uh-huh, yeah, remember you didn't like me? Though? <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, it's like a big brother. It's, it's fraternal correction. Uh-huh. Trying, to, <laughs> trying to teach you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So it's all good, though. <laughs> So what gets created then, Amorja, when you have one foot of being like true to who you are and another foot like that is, you know, uh, giving uh, respect, so to speak, to tradition, like what gets created or uh, two questions, I guess, what gets created when you do that? And what what's what what is difficult about that? Mm. So what gets created, I will say, is a better understanding of where gospel began, because a lot of times we're here on top, but we don't understand exactly what we're standing on top of. So, for example, with voices, I, um, for those who don't know, I'm over at the Voice of Gospel Choir here at Notre Dame as well, too. And I have a lot of students who are not black uh, singing in the choir. I maybe have like one black student. And so a lot of them, they they hear the popular stuff, but I also want to make sure that they understand what happened before you know we did the Kirk Franklin. So... Understanding the tradition gives you an appreciation for where we are now. And of course, you do hear some similarities. You hear some differences. And because of that, um, I've I've given, no, honestly, I've probably given them more knowledge than what some musicians, even in the church now, understand. And because a lot of times, especially with COVID now, uh, we're doing a lot of the easier songs, a lot of CCM, you know, influence songs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we don't have the choirs do those choir songs. We lose that. Uh, We lose the, you know, the Tommies, we lose the Thomas Whitfields because we just can't do it. But needless to say, I can say that for whenever I teach people, I always go back to the tradition because that's most important. Now, um, what was the second part of your question? Yeah. uh, And and how how do you, uh, the the two pieces is like, it's clear that you have a firm sense of your own identity and a firm appreciation of the tradition. What is it like when those two come together? And is there times in which those two things clash? I will certainly say, hmm, in regards to clashing, oh, I'll say this. So a lot of times I get deemed as uh, the old soul, and I have no problem with that. Like, I, I, I get it. I get that I I have more of an appreciation for maybe music from the, you know, the 30s to the 80s versus the 80s to the you know, 2020s. But, like, for example, I did something a couple of days ago where I had a musician, you know, was going through some hymns that he just knew nothing of. And of course, no different denominations, different upbringings, but there are certain things that are very pertinent to the black church. And I want to be that person. I'm 29, but I have the soul of a 58 year old. And that's just where Mm -hmm. I grew up. Uh, But even though I have that, um, because I I have that desire and I also have the age, I can still adapt to certain settings. I I can adjust. Mm -hmm. And it's easier for people to appreciate you if you can be a little diverse um I'll, i can do yourself as well too but although i still have a hardcore love for you know stuff from the james cleveland era and it's it's just one of those things um but all in all though i can say that having the ability to tap into both worlds has definitely gotten me to a broader place when it comes down to teaching different communities of people it's interesting the way you talk about teaching because it I think if someone looked you up on the internet, Amorja, they would, they would see you singing, they would see you conducting, right. They would see your records. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, as I've, as I've gotten to know you over the years, it's, it's something that you're always sure to touch on that. You're mm-hmm. also an educator. It's really mm-hmm. important for you to pass along the things that people have pa- have given to you, um, and just kind of pay it forward, I guess, kind of coming out of that a little bit, what, as Christian pointed out, 
there is a strong sense of identity that it's important for you to, to be you for lack of a yeah. better term. Right. Yeah. How, how does that come out of uh, what you understand about your relationship with God or your faith? Mm. So if I think about some songs, for example, so gospel, a lot of gospel music is based upon experience. Um, and a lot of songs, even in the earlier period of gospel was not necessarily, wasn't always theologically based. However, from the text of those songs and my experience, I was able to draw a closer connection to God because not only was I dealing with something, and of course they were older than me, so I have many more years to go, but because our experiences um, overlapped and they were very similar, I was able to one, connect with the the, the singer, the musician, uh, the storyteller, as that built a relationship with God, because they were discussing how, you know, they came through the trials and, you know, they had tribulation, but yet they overcame. So if I know that they could overcome those situations, then I definitely know that the God that they served and the one that I serve could also carry me through them as well, too. So having those moments where we can find those uh, those communal experiences, but also rejoicing in those victories that reminded me that, yeah, you know, God is still there. Um, and the music of that time also influenced that, uh, that idea. Now things have changed a little bit now. Uh, sometimes we get into more music that deals with, you know, the prosperity and it's, it's cool. Listen, none of us want to be broke, but the, <laughs> but the, the, the message, <laughs> the message, uh, and the scriptural songs are definitely, um, what keeps the foundation of gospel. Yeah. Do you think you would be able to make that connection with those figures of the past in gospel music without owning up to your own struggle? Mm-mm. Oh no! Oh no! Um, because I mean, just as a child of God, I mean, struggle is is also this. Just as a person and living, there's yeah. going to be struggle regardless, uh, whether Christian or or not. Um, and I think owning that makes me even more human. Uh, it makes me more vulnerable because once I can actually admit that I, I do struggle and that the outside is what people what the outside, which is what people see may look beautiful, but there are still some internal things, you know, that I deal with on a yeah. regular basis. I mean, I, you know, we're all human. I asked that question just because for, for uh, I think a lot of people, uh, particularly our students who are, who are, you know, grappling with the tradition and their faith, there's sometimes there's this temptation to look at tradition and void of my personal experience and to have tradition tell me how to, uh, name something or to deal with something your in your music it sounds like your own self-awareness and the wisdom of what has gone before somehow inform your present yeah and, and you know man it's always about evolving um i was taught by you know an older pastor and i understand that even when it comes to teaching the styles of teaching are different from from different generations so even though i was taught in an older style i do have people now and I listen to in regards to like pastors or just mentors who who help me uh, with my faith. And, and they, whenever I have any questions, I can go to them. And even with me knowing more, I'll just say newer stuff now, that does not mean that I lose my appreciation for the tradition. Uh, because if all else fails, if, if the building crumbles from, from the top down, I know that there's still a foundation that I can go back to. And that reminds me of like one of the songs we sing in the church. It says, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand. It's It's just there. Man, if I can if I can switch gears a little bit here, um, one of the one of the areas in which uh, tradition is sort of uh, most painful um, is is in our midst uh, here at Notre Dame. Um, 
having the pleasure to get to know you over the years when you when you came here versus who you are now it's it's not a different person but you have different priorities yeah oh yes <laughs> in the ways in which um uh you have sort of um manifested community out of your own struggles um at notre dame has been i think a, a great model definitely for me but i'm sure for all the people who've gotten to see see you um kind of come up through your master's and now your doctorate. So yeah. this has all resulted, of course, in, in this, this show that you do called Black at ND. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so Black at ND was, uh, I had the idea in June 2000, what year is it? I don't know what year this is. Oh, in 2020. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm losing track of everything. <laughs> and the show basically gives uh, students, uh, Black students, a place to express our concern, our experience, um, our truths about what it's like to be on a campus like Notre Dame. And, you know, the first season, which we wrapped up, you know, in December, uh, it was awesome. We had so many shows that allowed us to do that, brought in, you know, the chief of police, brought in faculty and staff. Um, I even had an episode that dealt nothing with Notre Dame, but it dealt with black culture. And there are a lot of things at Notre Dame that we experienced with Notre Dame, um, which is, you know, because of where we are. But there are a lot of things that happen outside of Notre Dame that Notre Dame has no idea about. So I wanted this show to be a place where we can talk about everything. So I'm, I'm slowly broadening um, the, the parameters as it relates to the show. But overall, you know, it's just a place where we can be ourselves. I allow students to, you know, tell me, you know, exactly, you know, how, you, how do you feel? Because what the, especially because Notre Dame was on the news so much last semester from Father Jenkins to, um, you know, um, the Supreme Court, students were upset, students were frustrated because we felt as if, you know, the pandemic happened uh, back in, you know, March 2020. It's almost a year later. Um, and then, of course, you know, there was George Floyd. And so we saw this this massive response from different places, from institutions to businesses. Um, and we're like, okay, cool. And so now that you put that statement out, Okay, that, that's that's barely step one, but what are you going to do to carry that out? Because a lot of times, I really think people did that so they could uh, CYA basically, and it's like you know, hey, um, we're here now, and we're not going to back down. So at this point, a lot of students have been, for lack of better you know words, um, they've been putting their knee on these institutions' necks, like. We, we, we need you to pay attention uh, because we have been dealing with this for so long and yet it's gone unnoticed. Or I'll say this, or we've shared our experiences with you, but you didn't want to believe us uh, until the pandemic forced you to watch those eight minutes and 46 seconds. And so now here we are crying yet once again that we can't breathe and not and not being able to breathe is not necessarily just you know physically not being able to breathe, but being on a campus where it's like you're always being pulled at and you're having to, you know, um, mask the way you feel because no one's going to want to hear your story or believe you. So that's the, what, essentially what Black at Indy is for. How do you have the courage to do this, man? Good question. Um, <laughs> honestly, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, man. I, at some point in my life, you know, you know, I'll let me back up and say this. At Notre Dame, the reason... Uh, different people who have influenced me or pushed me to be myself just in music uh, would have to be Dr. Dory's for sure. Have to be Margot Fassler. Uh, you as well, JJ, because I mean, you go against the grain with what you do as well. Um, but even pushing the narrative further at some point, I just, um, I just had to do it. I just said, you know what? 
forget it. Uh, it doesn't matter at this point what people think. Now we're in a place where, and I'll say this, I think also what helped is when people were like, well, what can we do to cure racism? Which, of course, there is no book on how to cure racism a- at all. But I said, now that people want to hear us, um, and I've never done anything like this before, I was very fearful with doing it. And if I be honest, I'm still not nervous every time I do an episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did that because people wanted to hear us speak. So that's really what pushed me to do it. And then having those people to say, Hey, you know, I support you that, that really helped out a lot. Yeah. So I'm mindful that like Notre Dame is known and and talking about race is just really difficult. Right. But the reality is Notre Dame is a historically white institution and here. Yeah. Right. And, and here we are talking about race uh, on black at ND. Do you think as you look forward as this, as hopefully this university's traditions continue to uh, evolve, Mm-hmm. Do you think these voices can be part of the tradition at some point? Is can, can it can it be knit into what it means to be a part of the Notre Dame community? You mean as far as black voices? Yeah, like like in a predominantly historically white institution, having a, a black voices come to the surface can sometimes be uh, contrary to the narrative of what this place would be. Mm-hmm. Is, is it possible for a place like this to really truly include uh, black voices? I certainly do believe it. Yeah, and, and and how so? And I guess my question is, how does that how how might that tradition have to change, or how does it have to evolve so that that can happen? Well, if we go back to Father Hesburgh, I mean, Father Hesburgh, he was all for it. Um, yeah. he, he was a civil rights guy. Uh, right. Now, and I'm I'm pretty sure that even during the time he was here, there were some challenges as well too. I was reading through some of his experiences um, in the Black Domers book, which is you know pretty good. So, the uh, Notre Dame can have those people. Um, be a part of the voices at the table, but Notre Dame also has to be willing to let go of what people see Notre Dame as. For example, mm-hmm. they see Notre Dame as a white institution predominantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what would it be like if Notre Dame was a multicultural school? And of course, we know it's not going to turn into an HBCU because there's not enough interest of, for black people to want to come mm-hmm. to this school. But uh, overall, though, it's like... Uh, what is Notre Dame willing to let go of for yeah. the sake of the yeah. safety of the uh, students of color on this campus? Uh, a lot of times we are so, no, even as as educators and musicians and just people in general, we're so concerned with our image because our image carries us. Our image is what people see before we even open our mouths. And so you want to make sure that the image is pretty. But sometimes the pretty images are not always the best images once you start to peel back the layers. Um, and it, it's... That, that's where Notre Dame is right now. Yeah. And I, Notre Dame is like a microcosm. Like, for example, had a conversation yesterday with Dr. Daryl Heller, um, and he said he doesn't really like Notre Dame's campus. It doesn't feel welcoming. And a lot of times there are people in South Bend who do not, who, black people, I'll say this, who really don't feel that Notre Dame is a place for them. Notre Dame has its own zip code. Notre Dame has its own everything. And so because it it, it cuts itself off from South Bend, it's like a, it's a completely different community, different way of living. And for you to cross into Notre Dame from South Bend, it's like walking from earth to heaven. So it's like not everybody feels that welcoming presence at Notre Dame. And it's sad that for people who grew up in South Bend, they don't feel that they could ever attain the opportunity to attend a school like this. Well, what I appreciate what you're saying is like, yeah, there's there's part of like tradition that we have to kind of like, are we willing to let go of image? And yet, like, as you brought up, the, the Hesburgh piece is part of the tradition, yet we forgot that piece. Why is that such a forgotten piece in light of what we try to conceive Notre Dame to be? There is a civil rights aspect. There is a space that desires for diversity. But it sounds, it sounds like it's that's often easier to forget than the more like, you know, like the shiny pieces of Notre Dame that it tries to promote. 
Oh, yeah, certainly. Um, especially, cause like I told people, the civil rights thing, you know, it's cool for some people. It's a trend. Uh, and they want to be on the right side of history. But it only becomes important whenever someone dies. Like, what do you do between those downtimes? <laughs> like, why Black Lives Matter is only loud after, you know, someone has been on the news for, you know, being shot by a cop. Yeah. It's like, yeah, what are y'all doing? And it's the stuff in between that is really most important. Demorsha... It's a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thank you for for being a guest here. Thank yeah. you for sharing your story and for um, yeah, for just uh, being so vulnerable with telling us about what what you're about. Yeah, man. Listen, I appreciate you for having me come on. I'm always down for it. Hey, uh, Amorja, uh, we we end each of our shows with like a little moment of of prayer. Uh, do you have one, uh, a poem, a lyric, a song that you want to share with us to kind of end our show today? No, but I'll give you something. Yeah, I, know, I know you could. I know you could. <laughs> I'll think of something. <laughs> no, I got you. We will close it out. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here once again, just as brothers and just being honest and open with one another. And I pray that as we go out and fulfill our mission, that you will always be in the forefront of our walks. We will never walk ahead of you because if we walk ahead of you, we're operating out of our own will and not the will that you created for us. Watch over us as we prepare to go back to school in a couple of weeks. Watch over our families. I pray that you will keep us safe and healthy. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amorja. Yeah, man. Thanks so much. This is Points of Connection, a production of Campus Ministry at the University of Notre Dame.